writing you about these matters, although I hope to visit you soon. But if I should be delayed, you should know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Undeniably great is the mystery of devotion. Who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. First Timothy chapter 4 False Asceticism Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the last times some will turn away from the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and demonic instructions through the hypocrisy of liars with branded consciences. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected when received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the invocation of God in prayer. Counsel to Timothy if you will give these instructions to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching you have followed. Avoid profane and silly myths. Train yourself for devotion, for while physical training is of limited value, devotion is valuable in every respect since it holds a promise of life both for the present and for the future. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this we toil and struggle, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one have contempt for your youth, but set an example for those who believe in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Until I arrive, attend to the reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was conferred on you through the prophetic word with the imposition of hands of the presbyterate. Be diligent in these matters, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to everyone. Attend to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in both tasks, for by doing so you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. First Timothy, Section 4, Duties Toward Others, Chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. 
treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with complete purity. Rules for Widows Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let these first learn to perform their religious duty to their own family and to make recompense to their parents, for this is pleasing to God. The real widow, who is all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But the one who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. Command this so that they may be irreproachable. And whoever does not provide for relatives and especially family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years old, married only once, with a reputation for good works, namely, that she has raised children, practiced hospitality, washed the feet of the holy ones, helped those in distress, involved herself in every good work. But exclude younger widows, for when their sensuality estranges them from Christ, they want to marry and will incur condemnation for breaking their first pledge. And furthermore, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies as well, talking about things that ought not to be mentioned. So I would like younger widows to marry, have children, and manage a home, so as to give the adversary no pretext for maligning us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman believer has widowed relatives, she must assist them. The church is not to be burdened so that it will be able to help those who are truly widows. Rules for Presbyters Presbyters who preside well deserve double honor, especially those who toil in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is threshing, and a worker deserves his pay. Do not accept an accusation against a presbyter unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Reprimand publicly those who do sin so that the rest also will be afraid. I charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these rules without prejudice doing nothing out of favoritism. Do not lay hands too readily on anyone, and do not share in another's sins. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water, 
but have a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are public, preceding them to judgment, but other people are followed by their sins. Similarly, good works are also public, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. First Timothy chapter 6 Rules for Slaves Those who are under the yoke of slavery must regard their masters as worthy of full respect, so that the name of God and our teaching may not suffer abuse. Those whose masters are believers must not take advantage of them because they are brothers, but must give better service, because those who will profit from their work are believers and are beloved. Section 5 False Teaching and True Wealth Teach and urge these things. Whoever teaches something different, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the religious teaching, is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid disposition for arguments and verbal disputes. From these come envy, rivalry, insults, evil suspicions, and mutual friction among people with corrupted minds who are deprived of the truth supposing religion to be a means of gain. Indeed, religion with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, just as we shall not be able to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we shall be content with that. Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils, and some people, in their desire for it, have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Exhortations to Timothy But you, man of God, Avoid all this. Instead, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life, to which you were called when you made the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you before God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who gave testimony under Pontius Pilate for the noble confession, to keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the blessed and only ruler will make manifest at the proper time, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and whom no human being 
has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Right Use of Wealth Tell the rich in the present age not to be proud and not to rely on so uncertain a thing as wealth, but rather on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus accumulating as treasure a good foundation for the future, so as to win the life that is true life. Section 6 Final Recommendation and Warning O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid profane babbling and the absurdities of so-called knowledge. By professing it, some people have deviated from the faith. Grace be with all of you. The Second Letter to Timothy Introduction The authorship and date of this letter, as one of the pastoral epistles, are discussed in the introduction to the first letter to Timothy. The tone here is more personal than in 1 Timothy, for this letter addresses Timothy in vivid terms. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 6 through 14, chapter 2 verses 1 through 13, and depicts Paul's courage and hope in the face of discouragements late in the course of his apostolic ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 through 18, chapter 3 verses 10 through 17, chapter 4, verses 9 through 18. Indeed, the letter takes on the character of a final exhortation and testament from Paul to the younger Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Paul is portrayed as a prisoner. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 8 and 16, chapter 2, verse 9. In Rome, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 and there is a hint that Timothy may be in Ephesus 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 17 the letter reveals that with rare exceptions Christians have not rallied to Paul's support 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 through 18 and takes a pessimistic view of the outcome of his case 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It describes Paul as fully aware of what impends, looking to God, not to human beings, for his deliverance. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 8 and verse 18. It recalls his mission days with Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Compare Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It points to his preaching of the gospel as the reason for his imprisonment and offers Timothy, as a motive for steadfastness, his own example of firmness in faith despite adverse circumstances.
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. The letter suggests that Timothy should prepare others to replace himself, as Paul has prepared Timothy to replace him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul urges him not to desist out of fear from preserving and spreading the Christian message. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. It presents the resurrection of Jesus and his messianic role as the heart of the gospel for which Paul has been ready to lay down his life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And thus, not only to express his own conviction fully, but to support the conviction of others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. This letter, like the preceding one, urges Timothy to protect the community from the inevitable impact of false teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through chapter 3, verse 9 without fear of the personal attacks that may result. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It recommends that he rely on the power of the Scriptures, on proclamation of the Word, and on sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 2, without being troubled by those who do not accept him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. The letter poignantly observes in passing that Paul has need of his reading materials and his cloak. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. And, what will be best of all, a visit from Timothy. On the theory of authorship by Paul himself, 2 Timothy appears to be the last of the three pastoral epistles. The many scholars who argue that the pastorals are products of the Pauline school often incline toward 2 Timothy as the earliest of the three and the one most likely to have actual fragments of material from Paul himself. The principal divisions of the second letter to Timothy are the following. Section 1. Address. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Section 2. Exhortations to Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 13. Section 3. Instructions concerning false teaching. Chapter 2, verse 14 through chapter 4 verse 8. Section 4. Personal Requests and Final Greetings. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Second Timothy. Section 1. Address. Chapter 1. Greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanksgiving I am grateful to God, 
whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I yearn to see you again, recalling your tears, so that I may be filled with joy as I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and that I am confident lives also in you. Section 2 Exhortations to Timothy The Gifts Timothy Has Received For this reason I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake, but bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design and the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now made manifest through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed preacher and apostle and teacher. On this account I am suffering these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know him in whom I have believed and am confident that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Take as your norm the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard this rich trust with the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Paul's Suffering you know that everyone in Asia deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesiphorus, because he often gave me new heart and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he came to Rome, he promptly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day and you know very well the services he rendered in Ephesus. Second Timothy chapter 2 Timothy's Conduct So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people, who will have the ability to teach others as well. Bear your share of hardship along with me, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To satisfy the one who recruited him, a soldier does not become entangled in the business affairs of life. Similarly, an athlete cannot receive the winner's crown 
except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to have the first share of the crop. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Such is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, together with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we persevere, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Section 3 Instructions Concerning False Teaching Warning Against Useless Disputes Remind people of these things, and charge them before God to stop disputing about words. This serves no useful purpose, since it harms those who listen. Be eager to present yourself as acceptable to God, a workman who causes no disgrace, imparting the word of truth without deviation. Avoid profane, idle talk, for such people will become more and more godless, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have deviated from the truth by saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and are upsetting the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord avoid evil. In a large household there are vessels not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for lofty and others for humble use. If anyone cleanses himself of these things, he will be a vessel for lofty use, dedicated, beneficial to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So turn from youthful desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with purity of heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant debates, for you know that they breed quarrels. A slave of the Lord should not quarrel, but should be gentle with everyone, able to teach, tolerant, 
correcting opponents with kindness. It may be that God will grant them repentance that leads to knowledge of the truth, and that they may return to their senses out of the devil's snare, where they are entrapped by him for his will. Second Timothy chapter 3 The Dangers of the Last Days But understand this, there will be terrifying times in the last days. People will be self-centered and lovers of money, proud, haughty, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious, callous, implacable, slanderous, licentious, brutal, hating what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, as they make a pretense of religion but deny its power. Reject them, for some of these slip into homes and make captives of women weighed down by sins, led by various desires, always trying to learn but never able to reach a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so they also oppose the truth. People of depraved mind, unqualified in the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be plain to all as it was with those two. Paul's Example and Teaching You have followed my teaching, way of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, persecutions that I endured. Yet from all these things the Lord delivered me. In fact, all who want to live religiously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But wicked people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived. But you, remain faithful to what you have learned and believed, because you know from whom you learned it, and that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that one who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy Chapter 4 Solemn Charge I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and, by his appearing 
and his kingly power. Proclaim the word. Be persistent, whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Convince, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but following their own desires and insatiable curiosity, will accumulate teachers and will stop listening to the truth and will be diverted to myths. But you be self-possessed in all circumstances, put up with hardship, perform the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Reward for Fidelity For I am already being poured out like a libation, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have competed well, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on the crown of righteousness awaits me, which the Lord, the just judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Section 4. Personal Requests and Final Greetings Paul's Loneliness Try to join me soon, for Demas, enamored of the present world, deserted me and went to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke is the only one with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is helpful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus in Troas, the papyrus rolls, and especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You too be on guard against him, for he has strongly resisted our preaching. At my first defense, no one appeared on my behalf, but every one deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the proclamation might be completed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil threat, and will bring me safe to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Final Greeting Greet Prissa and Aquila, and the family of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, while I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Try to get here before winter. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers send greetings. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with all of you.
The Letter to Titus Introduction The third of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament is addressed to a different co-worker of Paul than our first and second Timothy. The situation is different too, for Titus is addressed as the person in charge of developing the church on the large Mediterranean island of Crete. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, a place Paul had never, according to the New Testament, visited. The tone is closer to that of 1 Timothy, as three topics of church life and structure are discussed. Presbyter bishops, see note on Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Groups with which one must work in the church, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and admonitions for conduct based on the grace and love of God that appeared in Jesus Christ, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 10. The warmer personal tone of Second Timothy is replaced by emphasis on church office and on living in the society of the day in which deceivers and heretics abound. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Pauline assistant who is addressed, Titus, was a Gentile Christian, but we are nowhere informed of his place of birth or residence. He went from Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 2 verse 1. Compare Acts chapter 15 verse 2. According to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13, chapter 7 verses 6 and 13 and 14, he was with Paul on his third missionary journey. His name, however, does not appear in Acts. Besides being the bearer of Paul's severe letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, he had the responsibility of taking up the collection in Corinth for the Christian community of Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, verses 16 through 19, and verse 23. In the present letter, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he is mentioned as the administrator of the Christian community in Crete, charged with the task of organizing it through the appointment of presbyters and bishops. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Here, the two terms refer to the same personages. The letter instructs Titus about the character of the assistants he is to choose in view of the pastoral difficulties peculiar to Crete. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. It suggests the special individual and social virtues that the various age groups and classes in the Christian community should be encouraged to acquire. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10.
The motivation for transformation of their lives comes from Christology, especially the redemptive sacrifice of Christ and His future coming as applied through baptism and justification. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14, chapter 3 verses 4 through 8. The community is to serve as a leaven for Christianizing the social world about it. Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Good works are to be the evidence of their faith in God. Titus chapter 3 verse 8. Those who engage in religious controversy are, after suitable warning, to be ignored. Titus chapter 3 verses 9 through 11. The authorship and date of the letter to Titus are discussed in the introduction to 1 Timothy. Those who assume authorship by Paul himself usually place Titus after 1 Timothy and before 2 Timothy. Others see it as closely related to 1 Timothy in a growing emphasis on church structure and opposition to heresy, later than the letters of Paul himself and 2 Timothy. It has also been suggested that if the three pastorals once circulated as a literary unit, Titus was meant to be read ahead of First and Second Timothy. The principal divisions of the letter to Titus are the following. Section 1, Address. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Section 2, Pastoral Charge. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. Section 3. Teaching the Christian Life. Chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 15. Titus. Section 1. Address. Chapter 1. Greeting. Paul, a slave of God, and Apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's chosen ones and the recognition of religious truth, in the hope of eternal life that God, who does not lie, promised before time began, who indeed at the proper time revealed His word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Section 2. Pastoral Charge Titus in Crete For this reason I left you in Crete so that you might set right what remains to be done and appoint presbyters in every town, as I directed you, on condition that a man be blameless, married only once, with believing children who are not accused of licentiousness or rebellious. For a bishop 
as God's steward, must be blameless, not arrogant, not irritable, not a drunkard, not aggressive, not greedy for sordid gain, but hospitable, a lover of goodness, temperate, just, holy, and self-controlled, holding fast to the true message as taught, so that he will be able both to exhort with sound doctrine and to refute opponents. For there are also many rebels, idle talkers and deceivers, especially the Jewish Christians. It is imperative to silence them, as they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sordid gain what they should not. One of them, a prophet of their own, once said, Cretans have always been liars, vicious beasts, and lazy gluttons. That testimony is true. Therefore, admonish them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith, instead of paying attention to Jewish myths and regulations of people who have repudiated the truth. To the clean all things are clean, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is clean. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are tainted. They claim to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They are vile and disobedient and unqualified for any good deed. Titus, Section 3, Teaching the Christian Life Chapter 2, Christian Behavior As for yourself, you must say what is consistent with sound doctrine, namely, that older men should be temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Similarly, older women should be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to drink, teaching what is good, so that they may train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good homemakers, under the control of their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Urge the younger men, similarly, to control themselves, showing yourself as a model of good deeds in every respect, with integrity in your teaching, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be criticized, so that the opponent will be put to shame without anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to be under the control of their masters in all respects, giving them satisfaction, not talking back to them or stealing from them, but exhibiting complete good faith so as to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every way. Transformation of Life, 
For the grace of God has appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires, and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age, as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of the great God and of our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good. Say these things, extort and correct with all authority. Let no one look down on you. Titus chapter 3 Remind them to be under the control of magistrates and authorities, to be obedient, to be open to every good enterprise. They are to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, exercising all graciousness toward everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deluded, slaves to various desires and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful ourselves and hating one another. But when the kindness and generous love of God our Savior appeared, not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the bath of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by His grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. Advice to Titus I want you to insist on these points, that those who have believed in God be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and beneficial to others. Avoid foolish arguments, genealogies, rivalries, and quarrels about the law, for they are useless and futile. After a first and second warning, break off contact with a heretic, realizing that such a person is perverted and sinful and stands self-condemned. Directives, Greetings, and Blessing When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, try to join me at Nicopolis, where I have decided to spend the winter. Send Zenos the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey soon, and see to it that they have everything they need. But let our people, too, learn to devote themselves to good works to supply urgent needs, so that they may not be unproductive. All who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. The Letter to Philemon Introduction 
This short letter, addressed to three specific individuals, was written by Paul during an imprisonment, perhaps in Rome, between A.D. 61 and 63. See the introduction to Colossians for other possible sites. It concerns Onesimus, a slave from Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, who had run away from his master, perhaps guilty of theft in the process. Philemon, verse 18. Onesimus was converted to Christ by Paul. Philemon, verse 10. Paul sends him back to his master, Philemon, verse 12, with this letter, asking that he be welcomed willingly by his old master. Philemon, verses 8 through 10, verse 14, and verse 17. Not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Philemon, verse 16. Paul uses very strong arguments, especially Philemon, verse 19, in his touching appeal on behalf of Onesimus. It is unlikely that Paul is subtly hinting that he would like to retain Onesimus as his own slave, lent to Paul by his master. Rather, he suggests he would like to have Onesimus work with him for the gospel. Philemon, verse 13 and verses 20 through 21. There is, however, little evidence connecting this Onesimus with the bishop of Ephesus of the same name mentioned by Ignatius of Antioch, circa A.D. 110. Paul's letter deals with an accepted institution of antiquity, human slavery. But Paul breathes into this letter the spirit of Christ and of equality within the Christian community. He does not attack slavery directly, for this is something the Christian communities of the first century were in no position to do, and the expectation that Christ would soon come again militated against social reforms. Yet Paul, by presenting Onesimus as brother, beloved, to me, but even more so to you, Philemon, verse 16, voiced an idea revolutionary in that day and destined to break down worldly barriers of division in the Lord. Philemon Address and Greeting Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved and our co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church at your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving I give thanks to my God always, remembering you in my prayers, as I hear of the love and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus and for all the holy ones, 
so that your partnership in the faith may become effective in recognizing every good there is in us that leads to Christ. Plea for Onesimus For I have experienced much joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the holy ones have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, although I have the full right in Christ to order you to do what is proper, I rather urge you out of love, being as I am, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I urge you on behalf of my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment, who was once useless to you, but is now useful to both you and me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I should have liked to retain him for myself, so that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that the good you do might not be forced, but voluntary. Perhaps this is why he was away from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother, beloved especially to me, but even more so to you, as a man and in the Lord. So if you regard me as a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has done you any injustice, or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will pay. May I not tell you that you owe me your very self? Yes, brother, may I profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. With trust in your compliance I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I hope to be granted to you through your prayers. Final Greetings Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as well as Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Letter to the Hebrews Introduction As early as the second century, this treatise, which is of great rhetorical power and force, in its admonition to faithful pilgrimage under Christ's leadership, bore the title, To the Hebrews. It was assumed to be directed to Jewish Christians. Usually, Hebrews was attached in Greek manuscripts to the collection of letters by Paul. Although no author is mentioned, for there is no address, 
a reference to Timothy, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, suggested connections to the circle of Paul and his assistants. Yet the exact audience, the author, and even whether Hebrews is a letter, have long been disputed. The author saw the addressees in danger of apostasy from their Christian faith. This danger was due not to any persecution from outsiders, but to a weariness with the demands of Christian life and a growing indifference to their calling. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, chapter 4 verse 14, chapter 6 verses 1 through 12, chapter 10 verses 23 through 32. The author's main theme, the priesthood and sacrifice of Jesus, Hebrews chapters 3 through 10, is not developed for its own sake, but as a means of restoring their lost fervor and strengthening them in their faith. Another important theme of the letter is that of the pilgrimage of the people of God to the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3, and verses 18 through 29, chapter 13 verse 14. This theme is intimately connected with that of Jesus' ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 through chapter 10 verse 22. The author calls this work a message of encouragement. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22, a designation that is given to a synagogue sermon in Acts chapter 13 verse 15. Hebrews is probably, therefore, a written homily to which the author gave an epistolary ending. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 22 through 25. The author begins with a reminder of the pre-existence, incarnation, and exaltation of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, that proclaimed him the climax of God's word to humanity, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. He dwells upon the dignity of the person of Christ, superior to the angels, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, through chapter 2, verse 2. Christ is God's final word of salvation communicated in association with accredited witnesses to his teaching, compare Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, not merely by word, but through his suffering in the humanity common to him and to all others. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 16. This enactment of salvation went beyond the pattern known to Moses, faithful prophet of God's word though he was, for Jesus, as high priest, expiated sin and was faithful to God with the faithfulness of God's own Son. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 through chapter 3 verse 6. 
just as the infidelity of the people thwarted Moses' efforts to save them, so the infidelity of any Christian may thwart God's plan in Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 through chapter 4 verse 13. Christians are to reflect that it is their humanity that Jesus took upon himself with all its defects save sinfulness, and that he bore the burden of it until death out of obedience to God. God declared this work of his Son to be the cause of salvation for all. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 through chapter 5 verse 10. Although Christians recognize this fundamental teaching, they may grow weary of it and of its implications, and therefore require other reflections to stimulate their faith. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 through chapter 6 verse 20. Therefore, the author presents to the readers for their reflection the everlasting priesthood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 28. A priesthood that fulfills the promise of the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 13. It also provides the meaning God ultimately intended in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 1 through 28. These pointed to the unique sacrifice of Christ, which alone obtains forgiveness of sins. Hebrew chapter 10 verses 1 through 18. The trial of faith experienced by the readers should resolve itself through their consideration of Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary and his perpetual intercession there on their behalf. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, chapter 8 verses 1 through 13. They should also be strengthened by the assurance of his foreordained parousia and by the fruits of faith that they have already enjoyed. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 39. It is in the nature of faith to recognize the reality of what is not yet seen and is the object of hope, and the saints of the Old Testament give striking example of that faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 40. The perseverance to which the author exhorts the readers is shown forth in the earthly life of Jesus. Despite the afflictions of his ministry and the supreme trial of his suffering and death, he remained confident of the triumph that God would bring him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The difficulties of human life have meaning when they are accepted as God's discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. And if Christians persevere in fidelity to the word in which they have believed, they are assured of possessing forever the unshakable kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 14 through 29. The letter concludes with specific moral commandments. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, in the course of which the author recalls again his central theme of the sacrifice of Jesus and the courage needed to associate oneself with it in faith. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 9 through 16. As early as the end of the second century, the Church of Alexandria in Egypt accepted Hebrews as a letter of Paul, and that became the view commonly held in the East. Pauline authorship was contested in the West into the 4th century, but then accepted. In the 16th century, doubts about that position were again raised, and the modern consensus is that the letter was not written by Paul. There is, however, no widespread agreement on any of the other suggested authors. For example, Barnabas, Apollos, or Priscilla and Aquila. The document itself has no statement about its author. Among the reasons why Pauline authorship has been abandoned are the great difference of vocabulary and style between Hebrews and Paul's letters, the alternation of doctrinal teaching with moral exhortation, the different manner of citing the Old Testament, and the resemblance between the thought of Hebrews and that of Alexandrian Judaism. The Greek of the letter is in many ways the best in the New Testament. Since the letter of Clement of Rome to the Corinthians, written about A.D. 96, most probably cites Hebrews, the upper limit for the date of composition is reasonably certain. While the letter's references in the present tense to the Old Testament sacrificial worship do not necessarily show that temple worship was still going on, many older commentators, and a growing number of recent ones, favor the view that it was and that the author wrote before the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. In that case, the argument of the letter is more easily explained as directed toward Jewish Christians rather than those of Gentile origin, and the persecutions they have suffered in the past. Compare Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34 may have been connected with the disturbances that preceded the expulsion of the Jews from Rome in A.D. 49 under the emperor Claudius. These were probably caused by disputes between Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah and those who did not. The principal divisions of the letter to the Hebrews are the following. Section 1, Introduction, Chapter 1, Verses 1 through 4. Section 2, 
the Son higher than the angels. Chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 18. Section 3. Jesus, Faithful and Compassionate High Priest. Chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 10. Section 4. Jesus' Eternal Priesthood and Eternal Sacrifice. Chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 10, verse 39. Section 5. Examples, Discipline, Disobedience. Chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 29. Section 6. Final Exhortation, Blessing, Greetings. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Hebrews, Section 1, Introduction, Chapter 1. In times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, He spoke to us through a Son, whom He made heir of all things, and through whom He created the universe who is the refulgence of His glory, the very imprint of His being, and who sustains all things by His mighty word. When He had accomplished purification from sins, He took His seat at the right hand of the Majesty on high, as far superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Section 2. The Son Higher Than the Angels. Messianic Enthronement. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, this day I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a fiery flame. But of the sun, Your throne, O God, stands forever and ever, and a righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You loved justice and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And, At the beginning, O Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. You will roll them up like a cloak, and like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. But 
To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Hebrews chapter 2 Exhortation to Faithfulness Therefore, we must attend all the more to what we have heard, so that we may not be carried away. For if the word announced through angels proved firm, and every transgression and disobedience received its just recompense, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Announced originally through the Lord, it was confirmed for us by those who had heard. God added His testimony by signs, wonders, various acts of power, and distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Exaltation Through Abasement for it was not to angels that he subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Instead, someone has testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, subjecting all things under his feet. In subjecting all things to him, he left nothing not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see all things subject to him, but we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and those who are being consecrated, all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children God has given me. Now, since the children share in blood and flesh, he likewise shared in them, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who, through fear of death, had been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help angels, 
but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Hebrews Section 3 Jesus, Faithful and Compassionate High Priest Chapter 3 Jesus Superior to Moses Therefore, holy brothers sharing in a heavenly calling, reflect on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our Confession, who was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all his house. But he is worthy of more glory than Moses, as the founder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Every house is founded by someone, but the founder of all is God. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant to testify to what would be spoken. But Christ was faithful as a son placed over his house. We are his house if only we hold fast to our confidence and pride in our hope. Israel's Infidelity a Warning Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as at the rebellion in the day of testing in the desert, where your ancestors tested and tried me and saw my works for forty years. Because of this I was provoked with that generation, and I said, They have always been of erring heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take care, brothers, that none of you may have an evil and unfaithful heart so as to forsake the living God. Encourage yourselves daily while it is still today, so that none of you may grow hardened by the deceit of sin. We have become partners of Christ if only we hold the beginning of the reality firm until the end. For it is said, Oh, that today you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts as at the rebellion. Who were those who rebelled when they heard? Was it not all those who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who had sinned, whose corpses fell in the desert? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter into his rest, if not to those who were disobedient? And we see that they could not enter for lack of faith.
Hebrews chapter 4 The Sabbath Rest Therefore, let us be on our guard, while the promise of entering into his rest remains, that none of you seem to have failed. For in fact we have received the good news just as they did. But the word that they heard did not profit them, for they were not united in faith with those who listened. For we who believed enter into that rest, just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And yet his works were accomplished at the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere about the seventh day in this manner. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the previously mentioned place, they shall not enter into my rest. Therefore, since it remains that some will enter into it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he once more set a day, today, when long afterwards he spoke through David, as already quoted, Oh, that today you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken afterwards of another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God, and whoever enters into God's rests rests from his own works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall after the same example of disobedience. Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. No creature is concealed from him, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Jesus, Compassionate High Priest Therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a High Priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. Hebrews chapter 5 Every high priest is taken from among men and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal patiently with the ignorant and erring, for he himself is beset by weakness, and so for this reason 
must make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, it was not Christ who glorified himself in becoming high priest, but rather the one who said to him, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Just as he says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days when he was in the flesh, he offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, declared by God high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Section 4 Jesus' Eternal Priesthood and Eternal Sacrifice Exhortation to Spiritual Renewal About this we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain, for you have become sluggish in hearing. Although you should be teachers by this time, you need to have someone teach you again the basic elements of the utterances of God. You need milk and not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk lacks experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties are trained by practice to discern good and evil. Hebrews chapter 6 Therefore, let us leave behind the basic teaching about Christ and advance to maturity without laying the foundation all over again, repentance from dead works and faith in God, instruction about baptism and laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we shall do this if only God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to bring them to repentance again, since they are re-crucifying the Son of God for themselves and holding him up to contempt. Ground that has absorbed the rain falling upon it repeatedly and brings forth crops useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God but if it produces thorns and thistles, it is rejected. It will soon be cursed and finally burned. But we are sure in your regard, beloved, of better things related to salvation, even though we speak in this way. 
For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have demonstrated for his name by having served and continuing to serve the holy ones. We earnestly desire each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, are inheriting the promises. God's Promise Immutable When God made the promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself and said, I will indeed bless you and multiply you. And so, after patient waiting, he obtained the promise. Human beings swear by someone greater than themselves. For them, an oath serves as a guarantee and puts an end to all argument. So, when God wanted to give the heirs of his promise an even clearer demonstration of the immutability of his purpose, he intervened with an oath, so that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope that lies before us. This we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil, where Jesus has entered on our behalf as forerunner, becoming high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7 Melchizedek, a type of Christ. This Melchizedek, king of Salem and priest of God Most High, met Abraham as he returned from his defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham apportioned to him a tenth of everything. His name first means righteous king, and he was also king of Salem, that is, king of peace, without father, mother, or ancestry, without beginning of days or end of life, thus made to resemble the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. See how great he is to whom the patriarch Abraham indeed gave a tenth of his spoils. The descendants of Levi, who received the office of priesthood, have a commandment according to the law to exact tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, although they also have come from the loins of Abraham. But he who was not of their ancestry received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had received the promises. Unquestionably, 
a lesser person is blessed by a greater. In the one case, mortal men receive tithes. In the other, a man of whom it is testified that he lives on. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, was tithed through Abraham, for he was still in his father's loins when Melchizedek met him. If, then, perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, on the basis of which the people received the law, what need would there still have been for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not reckoned according to the order of Aaron. When there is a change of priesthood, there is necessarily a change of law as well. Now he, of whom these things are said, belonged to a different tribe, of which no member ever officiated at the altar. It is clear that our Lord arose from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. It is even more obvious if another priest is raised up after the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become so not by a law expressed in a commandment concerning physical descent, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. For it is testified, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is annulled because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law brought nothing to perfection. On the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And to the degree that this happened, not without the taking of an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and he will not repent. You are a priest forever. To that same degree has Jesus also become the guarantee of an even better covenant. Those priests were many, because they were prevented by death from remaining in office. But he, because he remains forever, has a priesthood that does not pass away. Therefore, he is always able to save those who approach God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priests, to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. He did that once for all 
when he offered himself. For the law appoints men subject to weakness to be high priests. But the word of the oath, which was taken after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Hebrews chapter 8 Heavenly Priesthood of Jesus The main point of what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. Now every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, the necessity for this one also to have something to offer. If then he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law. They worship in a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, as Moses was warned when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For he says, See that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, he has obtained so much more excellent a ministry as he is mediator of a better covenant, enacted on better promises. Old and New Covenants For if that first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second one. But he finds fault with them and says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will conclude a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to lead them forth from the land of Egypt for they did not stand by my covenant, and I ignored them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people." and they shall not teach each one his fellow citizen and kinsman, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from least to greatest. For I will forgive their evil doing and remember their sins no more. When he speaks of a new covenant, he declares the first one obsolete and what has become obsolete and has grown old is close to disappearing. Hebrews chapter 9 The Worship of the First Covenant Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was constructed 
the outer one, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of offering. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil was the tabernacle called the holy of holies, in which were the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant entirely covered with gold. In it were the gold jar containing the manna, the staff of Aaron that had sprouted, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the place of expiation. Now is not the time to speak of these in detail. With these arrangements for worship, the priests, in performing their service, go into the outer tabernacle repeatedly, but the high priest alone goes into the inner one once a year, not without blood that he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. In this way, the Holy Spirit shows that the way into the sanctuary had not yet been revealed, while the outer tabernacle still had its place. This is a symbol of the present time in which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper in conscience, but only in matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. Regulations concerning the flesh imposed until the time of the new order. Sacrifice of Jesus But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come to be, passing through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not belonging to this creation, he entered once for all into the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a heifer's ashes can sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh is cleansed, how much more will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to worship the living God? For this reason, he is mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place for deliverance from transgressions under the first covenant, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now, where there is a will, the death of the testator must be established for a will takes effect only at death. It has no force while the testator is alive. Thus, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. When every commandment had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats together with water 
and crimson wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has enjoined upon you. In the same way, he sprinkled also the tabernacle and all the vessels of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified by these rites, but the heavenly things themselves by better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but heaven itself, that he might now appear before God on our behalf. Not that he might offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters each year into the sanctuary with blood that is not his own. If that were so, he would have had to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice. Just as it is appointed that human beings die once, and after this the judgment, so also Christ, offered once to take away the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to take away sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. Hebrews chapter 10 One Sacrifice Instead of Many Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of them, it can never make perfect those who come to worship by the same sacrifices that they offer continually each year. Otherwise, would not the sacrifices have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, once cleansed, would no longer have had any consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices there is only a yearly remembrance of sins, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. For this reason, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Holocausts and sin offerings you took no delight in. Then I said, As is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. First he says, Sacrifices and offerings, holocausts and sin offerings, you neither desired nor delighted in. These are offered according to the law. Then he says, Behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first, 
to establish the second. By this will, we have been consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, This is the covenant I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them upon their minds. He also says, Their sins and their evil doing I will remember no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. Recalling the Past Therefore, brothers, since through the blood of Jesus we have confidence of entrance into the sanctuary by the new and living way he opened for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a sincere heart and in absolute trust with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to our confession that gives us hope, for he who made the promise is trustworthy. We must consider how to rouse one another to love and good works. We should not stay away from our assembly, as is the custom of some, but encourage one another, and this all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we sin deliberately, after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a flaming fire that is going to consume the adversaries. Anyone who rejects the law of Moses is put to death without pity on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Do you not think that a much worse punishment is due the one who has contempt for the Son of God, considers unclean the covenant blood by which he was consecrated, and insults the Spirit of grace? We know the one who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God.
Remember the days past when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a great contest of suffering. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and affliction. At other times you associated yourselves with those so treated. You even joined in the sufferings of those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you had a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It will have great recompense. You need endurance to do the will of God and receive what He has promised. For, after just a brief moment, He who is to come shall come. He shall not delay. But my just one shall live by faith, and if he draws back, I take no pleasure in him. We are not among those who draw back and perish, but among those who have faith and will possess life. Hebrews, Section 5 Examples, Discipline, Disobedience Chapter 11 Faith of the Ancients Faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Because of it, the ancients were well attested. By faith, we understand that the universe was ordered by the word of God, so that what is visible came into being through the invisible. By faith, Abel offered to God a sacrifice greater than Cain's. Through this, he was attested to be righteous, God bearing witness to his gifts, and through this, though dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was found no more because God had taken him. Before he was taken up, he was attested to have pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for anyone who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned about what was not yet seen, with reverence built an ark for the salvation of his household. Through this he condemned the world and inherited the righteousness that comes through faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was to go. By faith, he sojourned in the promised land as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and maker is God. By faith, 
he received power to generate, even though he was past the normal age, and Sarah herself was sterile, for he thought that the one who had made the promise was trustworthy. So it was that there came forth from one man